Today is the background of Genesis chapter 12 to 25. We're going to look once again at the dispersion of the nations in, given to us in Genesis chapter 10. And the Bible says in verse 32 of Genesis chapter 10, these are the families of the sons of Noah after their generations in their nations. And by these were the nations divided in the earth after the flood. Now that means that if the flood was universal and we assume that the flood was universal, all men came from Noah. And if all men came from Noah, they all came from these three people, Shem, Ham, Japheth. Now as a matter of fact, when we come to the study of the table of nations, which is a very important ethnological table, but which at the same time has some problems, we are perplexed as to where do the uh, Chinese fit in here? And where do the Inca Indians fit in here? And there's some that we, we have a little difficulty in assigning their precise location because what the author is concerned with in Genesis chapter 10 is to review those nations that came into contact with Israel in the Old Testament history period. Now, the nations that came least into contact with Israel are the descendants of Shem. And the descendants of Shem located, the descendants of Shem located in what we would call southern Europe, all the way across, and Turkey, to modern Turkey and Armenia. They settled in that area and then moved northward. And they came into least contact with Israel in the Old Testament. Secondly, the second group of nations are the descendants of Shem. And the descendants of Shem, they're described in Genesis chapter, uh, Genesis chapter 10, are the descendants that lived in, in, in uh, Egypt and Ethiopia and Libya and Canaan. And one of the descendants of Cush moved, migrated over to Babylon and settled in the Babylonian area. And when you come to uh, the study of Old Testament of history, you find it's very difficult because these races and nations intermingled in that early part of that history. And they settled up in what we would call northern Africa, and the assumption is that they also at the same time migrated south. Those are the descendants of Ham. Now the third great area of descendants are the descendants of Shem. And that's dealt with last because Shem is the nation out of which Abraham and eventually Jesus came. So the principle given to us in 1 Corinthians 15, 15, 49, first the natural and then the spiritual. So first of all, the nations at least came in contact with Israel. That's the Japhetic nation that ringed the northern part of the Mediterranean Sea. Secondly, were the Hamitic nations that, that ring the southern part of the Mediterranean Sea, North Africa, and the land of Palestine. And then some of them, under Nimrod, went on over and founded Babylon and that area in the Mesopotamian Valley. The third descendant are the Semitic nations, of which the Jews are one. We speak today of anti-Semitism. We think primarily uh, in anti-Semitism 
of being against uh, the Jews, but a Semite is, is something much larger than the Jews. Technically, the Semite refers to those who descended from Shem, and they're dealt with last. Now you notice uh, another point in this table of nations, looking at chapter 6, verse chapter uh, 10, pardon me, chapter 10, verse uh, 1, now these are the generations of the sons of Noah. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and none of them were sons born after the flood. First one in verses 2 to 5, the sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madoc, Javan, which is the old name for Greece, Tubal, Meshach, Tyrus. These are all nations located on the northern Mediterranean. Number two, verse 6, the sons of Ham, Cush, Mizraim. Mizraim is ancient Egypt. When you find a word, a, a proper name, with an I-M at the plural, that that's the, uh, an I-M is the Hebrew plural. And Egypt is divided into what's called Upper Egypt and Lower Egypt. Lower Egypt is where the Nile Delta forms uh, and, and comes out. Upper, Lower Egypt is Northern Egypt. Upper Egypt is Southern Egypt. Mizraim refers to Egypt. Cush represents, Cush uh, is a reference to Ethiopia. Put and Canaan, Mizraim, Cush, Mizraim, Put, the ancient name for Libya, and Canaan, which, whose inhabitants dwelt in the land of Palestine. And then he gives us the descendants of Cush, Seba, Havel, and so on down the line. Verse 8, he takes one man here and elaborates on him. Cush begat Nimrod, he began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Now that's not a hunter of animals, but a hunter of men. That is, he was a slave trader. He was a tyrant and a slave trader. He was a hunter of men. Before, wherefore it said, even as Zibra the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. So he went over and established Babel and Eric and Acadia, the modern language which one of my friends, one of our graduates is studying, teaching at Dallas Seminary, when, I, when he wrote me a letter here about three months ago. He said, I'm priming up to study, uh, to teach the Akkadian language this year at Dallas Seminary. Akkadian language. Kalnam, land of Shinar. And out of that land went forth, they went forth into Ashur, which is the ancient name for Assyria, and builded Nineveh and the city of Rehoboth and Kela, and resident between Nineveh and Kela, the same as a great city. Two great cities. Verse 10, Babel, Babylon, and the second great city, Nineveh. Two great cities, Babylon and Nineveh. So that Nimrod apparently migrated. When they came out of the flood, they apparently, uh, when they came out of the flood, uh, here's Mount Ararat. Uh, Mount Ararat is best the geographers can determine. So when they, the ancient civilization, the Garden of Eden was apparently located here, and Genesis 1 through 5, apparently took place in this area right here. When they set, came out of the flood, they came up out, uh, they settled in this area called Armenia. Now, the Japhetic nations migrated this way. The Japhetic nations migrated this way. The Hamitic nations migrated to northern Africa and to Canaan. The Semitic nations migrated in this area of the Fertile Crescent. And of course, all during ancient history, 
there was the intermingling of these nations and these races. Now, uh, one of the descendants of Cush was, uh, was Nimrod, and Nimrod migrated from this area over back here to Babylon, and he founded several great cities, two great cities in the Old Testament. One is Babylon, and the other is Nineveh. What's Nineveh and Babylon? He founded these two great cities. What's associated with the city of Nineveh? What book? Jonah. Jonah. And Nineveh was destroyed completely. The second great city was Babylon, and that was also destroyed. Babylon was founded by a descendant of Canaan. Babylon was founded by a descendant of Canaan. When Babylon fell in 586 B.C., it fell to the Persians who were Japhetic. And that is one of the three fulfillments of that prophecy in Genesis 10-9 about the curse that's placed upon Canaan. First, when, when Joshua went in, I mean the Canaanites, hewers of wood and drawers of water. Secondly, when Babylon fell to the Persians, that was the fall of Babylon held by the Canaanites, by Nimrod, descendant of Canaan, and therefore descendant of Ham, unto the Persians. And then finally, the fall of Carthage in North Africa, 146 B.C. So it expands upon Nimrod because Babylon and Nineveh are going to stand out in the rest of the Old Testament. And therefore it expands on those. And then in verse uh, and verse 19 now, if you look at verse 19, the board of the Canaanites is from Sidon as thou comest to Gerar. It spans also upon the Canaanites because these are the people with whom Israel are going to come in contact when they invade the land of Canaan under Joshua. Then when we come into verse 21, we have the descendants of Shem. Under Shem also, verse 21, under Shem also the father of the children of Eber, from which we probably get the word Hebrew, the Hebrews. Under Shem also the father of the children of Eber, the brother of Japheth, the elder, even to him were children born. The children of Shem, Elam, and Asher, and Arphaxed, and Lud, and Aram, the children from which we get the word Aramaic, part of the Old Testament, written in Aramaic, Uz and Holon, Gether, and Mash, and so on down the line. And he describes them carefully, he describes them carefully, because uh, they're going to be the nations with whom Israel is going to have to deal in later Old Testament history. Coming down now to verse 32. These are the families of the sons of Noah after their generations in their nation. And by these were the nations divided in the earth after the flood. This is probably the most important ethnological document in all history. There's nothing comparable to this in secular history. This is probably the most important astrological document. gives us the origin of the nation. Now, how was that accomplished? How were the nations scattered? How did Shem go to one area and Japheth go to another area? And, uh, and Shem and Japheth and the Hamitic races, how did they disperse in that way? Well, that's the purpose of Genesis 11, 1 to 9. Genesis 11, 1 to 9 chronologically precedes Genesis chapter 10. Now, let's look at this very briefly. 
And the whole earth was one language and one speech. It came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a place uh, uh, in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. That's part of Mesopotamia. They said one to another, Come, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and slime, had they for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. Let us make a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. What had God told them to do? What had God told them to do? Scatter, disperse. What did they say? We're not going to disperse. We're going to build a tower so we won't disperse. It was an act of open, flagrant disobedience to God. Let's build a tower to keep together. Verse 5, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men built. The Lord said, Behold, the people are one, and they all have one language. All have one language. And when sinners are united in one language, then the extent of sin is deeper. So God said, Since they're all one, and they all have one language, and this they begin to do, now nothing will be withheld from them which they have imagined you. Come, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there upon the face of all the earth. Now this is how Genesis 10 is accomplished. Verse 8, the Lord scattered them abroad upon the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore the name of it is called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from there did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. So here's the modus operandi by which God accomplished the scattering of the nations described in Genesis chapter 10. Now, does this take in all nations? I assume that it does. I base that assumption, I base that conclusion on the assumption that the world was, that the flood was worldwide. If the flood, if the flood was worldwide, and I don't see how it could not possibly be worldwide, if you got water that tops mountains that range 14 to 15,000 feet high in a certain area, and that water is up there for 150 days, water seeks its level, then it's going to cover all the earth. And the flood was not simply a heavy rain that we may get around the month of January. The Bible tells us the flood was caused by two things. First of all, the fountains of the deep were broken up. Those great subterranean passages of water underneath the earth were broken up, and they came up to the surface. Secondly, apparently, from Genesis 1 to Gen up to Genesis 6, apparently, you remember Genesis 1 that God separated the waters beneath the atmosphere, the atmosphere in which the birds fly around in, from the waters above that atmosphere and apparently this earth was circled was ringed by a by a, um, a ring of of heavy uh, precipitous water and that says that the fountains of the heavens were open that's not simply a heavy rain that perhaps may be that great ring of water that surrounded it between these two things the fountains beneath and the fountains above, the earth was deluged, and deluged to the heights of the Rocky Mountains and the Smoky Mountains. 
Now, you know, if you've got water that tops the Smoky Mountains for 150 days, you know it's going to get down here in Memphis. Can't possibly get down here in Memphis. And that ringed the whole earth. And I assume that this water, this flood, was a universal flood. There's debate on that today. But I think most men who really take the Bible seriously believe that the flood was universal. Now, if that's so, that means that only eight people got out of that flood. Who was that? Noah and Mrs. Noah. Shem and Mrs. Shem. Ham and Mrs. Ham. Japheth and Mrs. Japheth. That eight of them got out. And they stayed out somewhere in what we would call Armenia. Nobody's discovered where it is. And, and everybody's been going over there looking for Noah's Ark. I doubt that they will find it. But anyway, somewhere in, in Armenia area. And from these this family, all the nations of the earth, I believe, sprang. And what he does in Genesis chapter 10 is tell us only about those nations that were later on related to the nation of Israel. That's why he leaves out, for example, the Inca Indians and the Australians, perhaps, because they are not directly related to the nation of Israel. But he does give to us. And then he focuses in Genesis 10 upon two groups. One is Nimrod, who founded the city of Babylon and Nineveh. And then secondly, on the people who inhabited the land of Canaan. Now, how did God accomplish that dispersion? Well, that's given to us in Genesis 11, 1 to 9. They built a tower somewhere. Somewhere they apparently came down in, in, uh, in Armenia and they migrated south 150, 200 miles Somewhere in that Mesopotamia River valley, they built a great tower as a symbol of defiance against God, a symbol of their disobedience against God. God said, multiply and scatter, multiply and scatter. Disobedience to God, they said, no, we're going to stay together. Said God, all right, if you won't do it voluntarily, you'll do it involuntarily. You remember there's a parallel, by the way, in the New Testament, isn't there? What did the Lord say to the early church? You shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, uttermost part. But they stayed in Jerusalem, and they didn't get out. So God sent along a persecution, Acts chapter 7. Stephen was martyred, and when that took place, the early churches scattered outside of Jerusalem. So in somewhat similar fashion... These people disobeyed the command of God to scatter. And, um, uh, and you know, and, and, and after, Gen after the flood, after the flood, after the flood, number one, God changed their diet. Apparently. Apparently, he changed their diet from being pure vegetarians to the place where they now could eat meat. Secondly, after the flood, God did a second thing. He instituted human government after the flood. And the highest, the most soberest act that government will ever take is to take a life. And so God instituted capital punishment after the flood, Genesis chapter 9. And then the third thing that God did after the flood eventually was to scatter the nations and establish the nations. Now, how did he accomplish it? Well, they built this tower. God came down. 
Now, you know, that's an anthropomorphism. God doesn't come down. He's omniscient and omnipresent. That's statements in, in terms that we can understand. He looked at it, observed it. He saw that they were disobeying him. So God said, we're going to move in on this. The triune God did. And they scattered it, and he did it by, by changing their, their speech patterns, languages. Now, were they scattered first, and then secondly, they learned different languages, or were they their languages supernaturally and instantaneously changed, and because of that, they were scattered? Well, I think obviously it's the second one, that their languages instantaneously were altered. The pattern of their languages were altered. That's as though we got a hundred men here today, and all of a sudden, God, one of us would speak Chinese, one of us would speak Latin, ancient Latin. One of us would speak Korean. One of us would speak American or English. One of us would speak French. One of us would speak Italian. One of us would speak Pig Latin. Okay. And we all got speaking different languages. Why, you know we'd have a real hard time getting along if we didn't know one another's language. That's what happened. And so because of that, the nations scattered. And God used the dispersion of the used the changes of their languages to, uh, to scatter the nation. And may I say, a kind of a Shakespearean aside, since I've been, I was in high school, uh, um, they've all, there's always been this plan to unify the languages of the world. That will never come to pass until the millennium. See, the book of Zephaniah tells us in the millennium, book of Zephaniah, that all men are going to speak with one lip one language in that day. But only because on that day, all men will be under the rule of the beneficent despot, Jesus Christ. Not until that day will men's languages be unified. And here's a great event in history, the dispersion of the nations and the languages. Then we come to the latter part of chapter 11, which gives us the background of Shem, Leading up to Abraham, Genesis chapter 11, verse 10. These are the generations of Shem. Now, there are three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. We're going to set aside Japheth. We're going to set aside Ham. We're going to set aside those two until the New Testament. Now, from now on, all the rest of the Old Testament is not going to deal with Ham or with Japheth, but with the descendants of Shem, primarily Israel, and the Arab nations, the descendants of Shem. Verse 10, these are the generations of Shem. Shem was 100 years old and begat Arphaxed and so on down the line. And we come on down to verse 24, Genesis 11, and Nahor lived 920 years and begat Terah, and Nahor lived after he begat Terah 119 years and begat sons and daughters. And Terah lived 70 years and begat Abraham, or Abram, Nahor and Haran. Now we're introduced to Abram. These are the generations of Terah. Terah begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran began Lot, which means that Lot was Abraham's nephew. And Haran died before his father Terah in the land of his nativity in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took them wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarah. The name of Nahor's wife, Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran the father of Milcah, the father of Iscah. The reason that's important is because later on, 
Jacob goes up and gets the wife from the descendants of Haran. But Sarah was barren. She had no children. Verse 31. Terah took Abraham, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his son's son, and Sarah's daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go unto the land of Canaan. And they came unto Haran and dwelt there. And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now we're ready for the second period. That second period is the patriarchal period. Second period is the patriarchal period. Now, do you have that outline in front of you? You have this outline that says up at the top, study number three. Our mimeograph machine broke down yesterday, so we had to, had to photostat these. Study number three, Old Testament survey, the second period, the patriarchal period. Now, under each one of these periods, we're studying six things. Under every one of these periods, we're studying six things. The scripture, the theme, the dates, the geography, the events, and the people. Six things, all right? Now, what we're going to do this morning is attempt to get down through the life of Abraham, about the middle of the page. Next week, we'll take up Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Now, let's look at these first five, uh, uh, five things. First of all, the scripture, Genesis chapter 12 through 15. Really, Genesis chapter 11, verse 28. But it begins with the call of Abraham, and it ends with the descent of Jacob. So if we uh, marked it on the, uh, on the board, if we marked it on the overhead projector, it would start, here would be this patriarchal period. It would start with the call of Abraham, and it would end with the descent into Egypt. And in between, we're going to have the lives of four men, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, those four men, primarily Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the descendant to Egypt was 1876, and the call of Abraham was about 2091 B.C. So you can see the amount of time it's covered. That is about a little over 200 years it's covered in this period. All right, that's the scripture, Genesis 12 to 50, and, uh, and begins with the call of Abraham and ends with the descent into the land of Egypt. Number two, as it is on your outline, what is the theme of this section? Well, the theme of this section is the election of the nation, the election of the nation. This is a major turning point in the Bible, the election of the nation. This is comparable, so to speak. Up until this time, God has been dealing with the N-A-T-I-O-N-S, with all the nations. Now, out of all the nations of the earth, God selects one nation, and he begins to deal with that one nation. What is the name of that one nation? Israel, Israel, not, not technically not the Jew. The Jew is just one tribe of Israel. He begins to deal with all nations. Uh, in Genesis 1 to 11, he deals with all nations. From Genesis chapter 12 over all the way over to Malachi 4, 
and even over up until Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. He deals with all the nations. But then at the cross and the ascension at Pentecost and sent the Holy Spirit, then God begins Acts 1.8. You shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and unto the uttermost part. So, the New Testament, book of Acts, God once again begins to deal with all nations. When when a lady came to Jesus one time, a Syrophoenician woman asked to be helped, Jesus tested her faith. But do you remember what he said? I'm not, con- and, and Matthew chapter 10, don't go to any but the lost sheep of the house of Israel. When he said, I've come, come uh, to that Syrophoenician woman, I've come to minister to Israel, minister of the circumcision to Israel. Then he died. Then the gospel is expanded to all nations. But for these many years, how many years? About 2,000 years, 2,000 years, God dealt not with the Inca Indians and not primarily and directly with your ancestors and with mine, but with the nation of Israel. So God selects one. And, and the theme of this thing is the election of this nation, Israel. The election of this nation Israel. Now, one look at that for just a minute. The election of the nation of Israel. That's a fact. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. We can look at this several places. We'll just look at a couple of them. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land, that's the land of Canaan, where thou goest to possess it, and hast cast out all the nations before thee in the land of Canaan, Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, who dwelt around Jerusalem, seven nations greater and mightier than thou, when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, Thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them, and so on down the line. Verse, verse five. But thus shall, but thus shall you deal with them. You shall destroy their altars, break down their images, cut down their idols, burn their carved images with fire. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God has what are the next two words? Chosen thee to be a special nation unto himself above all the people who are upon the face of the earth. God chose Israel. Why? Well, verse 7, the Lord did not set his love upon you. He did not choose you because you were more number than any people or for you were the fewest of all the people. God didn't choose you because you were less sinful than other people. Why did God choose you? Verse 8. But the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore unto your fathers, Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, has the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand, redeemed you out of the house of bondage from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. God chose the nation of Israel. Amos right after Andy. See, <laughs> See right before. 
All right, now look if you can find it. Hosea Joel Amos. Hosea Daniel Hosea Joel Amos. Amos. A-M-O-S. Now let's see if this is uh, the right one. Amos chapter 3, verse 2. Verse 1. Amos 3, 1. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying, You only have I known. The word there means chosen. You only have I known, chosen, of all the families of the earth. Therefore, with higher re privileges, higher responsibilities, therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Now, I could read dozens of passages. We don't have time this morning. But the fact is that God chose the nation of Israel. Look over at Romans chapter 9. Look at a couple more. Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, quickly. Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verse 1. Romans chapter 3, verse 1. What advantage then has the Jew? Romans 3, 1. What advantage then has the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision, the sign of God's covenant relationship with the Jew? What advantage has the Jew? Verse 2. No advantage whatsoever. Now what it says? What it says? Much every way. First of all, because unto them were committed the Old Testament book, the oracles of God. Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. Verse, verse, uh, verse 3. I could wish that I myself, Paul writes, were cursed from Christ and my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, that is the Jews, who are Israelites, to whom God has given, to whom pertains, to whom God has given, number one, the adoption. God adopted that nation, chose that nation. And the glory, that is the Shekinah glory, that dwelt in the temple, the tabernacle. Number three, to whom he gave the covenant, Abrahamic, Palestinian, Davidic, and New Covenant, and the giving the Mosaic law, and the service of God, and the promises of the Messiah. All these were given to Israel, and to Israel alone. God chose this nation. Now, the question arises, why did God choose this nation? Now, well, when we ask the word why, you know, uh, we, when we, use, when we, when we um, raise the question why, we can look both backwards and forward. When we say why, we can mean for what cause did they choose, did God choose the nation of Israel? And the answer to that is we don't know. God doesn't tell us. Was it because he saw anything better in Israel or anything better in the Jews that God chose the nation of Israel. There was no cause in him. It was out of God's sovereign grace that God chose the nation of Israel out of all the nations of the earth. That word why looks backward. What, what was the cause for it? We don't know. The other word uh, why can look forward, and that is 
For what purpose did God choose the nation of Israel? Well, my study of the Old Testament, I uh, conclude that God chose the nation of Israel for four basic reasons. God chose the nation of Israel and worked through them for the next 2,000 years, all through the Old Testament, and he did so for four basic reasons. Number one, number one, they were to be, Israel was to be a witness to the one true God in the midst of polytheism. That's the first reason God chose the nation of Israel. God chose the nation of Israel so that that nation would be a witness, witness to, to, to the one true God in the midst of polytheism. All the nations that surrounded Israel were polytheists. You know what I mean by a polytheist? Poly is many, and theist is God, and a polytheist is someone who worships many gods. And all the nations that surrounded Israel were polytheists. By the way, what was Abraham when God called Abraham? Down Ur of the Chaldees. What was Abraham? He was a polytheist. Abraham was a pagan when God called him down in Ur of the Chaldees. He was about 60 years old and lived down in Ur, which at that time had a flourishing culture. And Abram's a polytheist. There wasn't anything in Abram for which God chose Abraham and his descendants. But God chose Abraham and Israel so that they would be a witness to the true God. And God expected, now listen here carefully, God expected them, giving them the truth of monotheism, the truth of the one God, that Israel would take that message to all the nations of the earth. But they failed. They failed. And the story of Jonah is a parable of the nation of Israel. God said to Jonah, as a Jew, as an Israelite, go over to that pagan city of Nineveh and preach to them. But instead, he got down, went down to Joppa, seaport, got on a boat, went the other direction. He didn't want God to save the Assyrians because the Assyrians were enemies of Israel. He wanted them destroyed, not saved. <clears throat> Pardon me. So Jonah got on a boat, you know, and you remember what happened to Jonah? God, what happened? God tossed off the boat. And what, what, after he's tossed off the boat, what happened? Swallowed by a great fish. Do you know where Israel is today? She's in the body of the great fish, so to speak. Israel is scattered. Israel is scattered over all the world. She disobeyed God. She kept monotheism to herself and despised the other nations and failed God, ran the other direction, and God judged her. God judged her. God judged her. She rejected the Messiah. God judged her. She's today in the belly of the whale. Someday that, that, that whale is going to regurgitate the nation. And she's going to go back to the land in faith. And God is once again going to deal with the nation of Israel. And that day, you listening? That day, Israel is going to form the great 
evangelistic body to preach the gospel to all the nations of this world before Jesus Christ comes back to this earth. He's in the body of the whale today. And Jonah's, Jonah's a true story. It actually literally happened. But it's also a parable what happened to the nation of Israel. First reason God chose the nation of Israel, to give to them the truth of monotheism, because the nations are polytheistic. All the nations surround it. Secondly, second reason God chose the nation of Israel is that Israel could become a steward of God's truth. Israel become a steward, a recipient, and a steward of the of the of the oracles of God. Romans chapter three, verses one and two. To whom did God give the Old Testament? To the Inca Indians? No. To the Greeks? No. The Greeks had Plato and Aristotle, but they didn't have the Old Testament. To whom did God give the Old Testament? That's to the Jews. So Paul says. What advantage has the Jew? Paul answers much every way. First of all, to them which committed the oracles of God. Number three. Number three. The third reason God chose the nation of Israel is that Israel would be the channel. C-H-A-N-N-E-L. The channel of the Messiah. Israel would be the channel through whom the Messiah would come. Jesus was a Jew. Jesus was a member of the Israelite nation and of the tribe of Judah. So God chose Israel because out of the nation of Israel, not out of your ancestors or mine, unless you are Jewish here this morning, not of your ancestors or mine, but out of the nation of Israel, God brought the Messiah. Genesis 3.15, the Messiah is not going to be an angel but a member of the human race. But there are several races. Of which race? Genesis 9, 26 narrows down of the race of the Semitic races. But there are many Semitic races. Of which nation among the Semitic races? Genesis 12 of the Israelite nation among the Semitic races. But there are 12 tribes among the nation of Israel, of what tribe? Genesis 49.10, of the tribe of Judah. But there are many families, many clans in the tribe of Judah. Of what clan? Second Samuel 7, of the family of David. So, in the Old Testament, it narrows down. Remember the human race? Remember the Semitic races? Remember the nation of Israel? member of the tribe of Judah, a member of the family of David. Then it narrows down, born of a virgin, and narrows down, born in Bethlehem of Judea. Jesus Christ came from the nation of Israel. And Israel was chosen to be the channel of the Messiah. And then fourth, the fourth reason for which God chose them was that they were to be a blessing to all the nations. Because of all of these first three, they were to be a blessing to all the nations. Deuteronomy chapter 3, 26 to 29. Deuteronomy chapter 23, 26 to 29. All right, number three. Number three, the date. The date. What's covered in this period? <coughs> what are the dates? Well, let's see if we can get them. 
the date. Now, this represents the date that Jacob went down into Egypt, the descent into Egypt. And you recall, we're not going to go over that again, but you recall that that date was uh, 1876 B.C. And we went over that about three or four, maybe five times, so I, I assume that we all got that down well now. How he got down to Egypt, 1876 B.C. Now, when Jacob went down into Egypt at 876 B.C., he was 130 years old. This is Jacob. And when Isaac gave birth to Jacob, that is, Jacob was, when he was born, he was zero. When Isaac gave birth to Jacob, Jacob was 60 years old. And when Abraham gave birth to Isaac, Abraham was 100 years old. So in Genesis chapter 11, Genesis chapter 11, the birth of Abraham, that took place in 2166 B.C. Because if we take 1876 and we add 130 and 130 and 6290, we add 290 to that 1876, we get 6612, 2166 B.C., the birth of Abraham. Now turn over to Genesis 12, 5. Genesis chapter 12, verse 5. Genesis chapter 12, verse 5. Is that the verse that tells us how old Abraham was when he went, when he finally got over to Canaan? Is that the verse? How does it, what is it verse? All right, how, how old was he, verse 4, when he got over there? 70, all right, we take that 2166 and we subtract 75. We get 1902. So Genesis 12 is 2091. Genesis 12. That's when Abraham came into Canaan. And it ends Genesis 50 when, well, really Genesis 46 for practical purposes, Genesis 50. It ends in 1876. When Jacob goes down in Egypt. Those are the dates of the patriarchal period. Abram called, God indicated 75 years of age at 2091 B.C. And Jacob went down into Egypt in 1876 B.C. All right, number four. What is number four on your outline there? Geography. All right, geography. Now let's look at that in just a minute. I don't know whether all of you can see up here. I hope you can. What might help with a little is if I could move all this back and put this up a little higher. <clears throat> what is the geography? Well, there are three great, you know, civilizations developed along uh, rivers did so primarily for transportation purposes. And there are three great ancient river civilizations. One of them is the Indus River Valley, which is not even on this map. That's over east here. The second one is this Nile River civilization and culture. The Nile River flows from south to north. 
and empties out into the Mediterranean, and this is the uh, what is called the delta, like the delta down the Mississippi Delta, down in down around New Orleans. This is a delta where it empties, and the land of Goshen is right in here, which is the richest part, the third great river civilization, and the oldest one is the Tigris-Euphrates civilization, and the Tigris and Euphrates start way up here together, Tigris and Euphrates, way up here together, and then they separate. The Euphrates goes south, and the Tigris comes north, down here, they, right here is where they come close together, then they separate, and the, the Euphrates comes down here, and the Tigris comes down here, and then they meet down here at the Persian Gulf. Now, this, probably, the Persian Gulf was uh, was uh, maybe a hundred miles further north, but the silt that's carried down there is built up. And this is the most ancient of the coasters. Probably the Garden of Eden was located somewhere in this area. And when the flood took place and they got out of the ark, they got out of the ark somewhere in this northern Mesopotamian area in Armenia. Then they migrated apparently south and built the Tower of Babel south of that place, and then they were scattered. And the descendants, uh, the descendants uh, of uh, Shem and the, uh, uh, the uh, receding relatives of Abraham settled down in this place here called Shire, and one of the leading cities was the city of Ur. Now, this 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 uh, land. This is the Arabian Desert, and people didn't cross the Arabian Desert. They would go up this way north, and then they'd drop down south. And in 2000 BC, there was a lot of commercial travel between the major cities of the Lower Mesopotamian, often called S H I N A R, Shinar, or Chaldea. The Chaldeans, Chaldea. And, and uh, the northern part was called Mesopotamia. The lower part was called Chaldea or Shinar in this whole meso. You know, meso, the Greek word for river is potamos. And that river horse is called a hippopotamus. Potamus is river. Meso is in the middle of. So Mesopotamia is the land in the middle of between the two rivers. And they traveled a whole lot uh, down here down into Egypt and the Nile River civilization. Now, when Genesis chapter 12 begins, Abraham is living here in Ur the Chaldees, and he's a pagan. And apparently God called him while he was a pagan and revealed himself to Abraham. And, and at that time, Abraham obeyed God. God told him to get out and to leave. Get, Hebrews 12, get out. Get out and go to a country which you don't know about. Get out and go someplace where I'll lead you, but which I'll not tell you now. So Abram picked up and with his daddy, Hera, and with his nephew, Lot, and they journeyed from Ur and came all the way up here to what's called Haran, or Padan Aram, Haran. And there they stayed, and they stayed there apparently about 15 years. Then God said to Abraham, Abraham, move again. Go on down to Canaan. This time, 
Abraham knows where he's going. Go on down to Canaan. So Abraham took Lot with him, left his daddy, left Laban up here in Haran or Pad and Aram, took Lot with him, and they came on down about 400 miles, came on down here, came to Bethel, then on down to Beersheba, then Genesis 12, Genesis 12, one of the saddest events in human history. And we're suffering from it today. Genesis 12, Abraham, when a famine came, left, left Hebron and went on down to Egypt. And while down in Egypt, got an Egyptian wife named Hagar. Came on back. God came on back to back to Hebron and settled in Hebron. And uh, Sarah was was not able to have any children. God supernaturally prevented them from having children. And yet God had said, I'm going to make my covenant with you, Abraham, with your seed. And yet no children. And here's Abraham. Now in his 80s, Sarah, maybe 12, 13 years younger. Still no children, yet God has given his promise. So Abraham took things in his own hands. And this is a common practice the Newsy tablets show us that when a woman could not have children, she would give her handmaid, that is her maid, to her husband. He would have relations with her, and that child would belong then to the father and to the woman herself, not necessarily to the handmaid. So Sarah gave to Abraham Hagar and said, you have children by Hagar, and he did. And out from Hagar came Ishmael, the modern, the descendant of the modern Arabs, and from Isaac, who was born of Sarah, came the modern Jews. So our modern Jew Arab problem goes down to Abraham's disobedience and his trip down into the land of Egypt and his attempt to take things into his own hands. So Abram came back here. Abram had a son. His name was Isaac. Isaac didn't travel much. The old saying is that Isaac was a, was a little-known son of a well-known father and the little-known father of a well-known son. He lied and stayed between Abraham and Jacob. Wasn't much known about Isaac. He didn't travel much, just traveled around here. Then Jacob, you recall, Jacob lived down south around Hebron with his daddy and with his granddaddy. One day, he stole the birthright from his brother. He sold it to him. Sold it to him. Then he... He stole something else by treachery from his brother, and he had to clear out of the land because his brother's going to kill him. So Jacob, Jacob fled up, way up here to Haran, to Pad and Aram. And there you remember he stayed 20 years. And there he, there he worked 20 years, 14 years for a wife, worked seven years for a wife, and the father-in-law switched the wives, he recalled the story, and he had to work another seven years, 14 years, and then after another seven years, six years, 20, 
why when his daddy-in-law was out one day, away out, three, four days' journey away from home, Jacob got his two wives and said, we're going to leave this country. We're going to go back home to my home. So they left, and they headed south, and that story is recorded, and we'll get to it a little later on. Jacob's caught between a rock and a hard place. His daddy-in-law on the back, ready to kill him. And Esau, coming up from the south, ready to kill him. He's between a rock and a hard place. Now, you know what he did? Just what you do when you get in a tight place. He started praying. <laughs> he started praying. He sent all of his <coughs> family over the river Jabbok, and he started praying. And he found out that Esau wasn't unkindly disposed toward him. And they came on down. And then Jacob came down here. And then you recall to finish out this story. <coughs> finish out this story. Jacob had um, 12 sons, didn't he? And he had 11 sons. And the 11th son was Joseph. And the other 10 boys hated Joseph. So one day they sold Joseph down into slavery. They put him in a pit to kill him. And the oldest brother said, don't kill him. Sell him into slavery. So they sold him into slavery, and he went on down to Egypt. About uh, 13 years later, a terrible famine, well, seven years later, a terrible famine hit Egypt. Uh, well, 13 years later, a terrible famine hit Egypt. And they brought Joseph, the Pharaoh brought Joseph out of prison, made Joseph prime minister over all the land. A famine hit Palestine. They sent down. Jacob didn't get food. That lasted for a year. Said, go back again, get some more food. And boy said, Daddy, if we don't take our your, your youngest son, Benjamin, that man won't even give us an audience. We can't go back. So he said, all right, take Benjamin. You recall the story. He took Benjamin. And the ultimate thing is, Jacob said, go. He sent all the servants out, and he made himself known to his brothers, and they all fell on the shoulders and wept. And he said, go get my daddy, bring him down to Egypt. And they brought Jacob down to Egypt, and they're down. And that's the period of what I call the period of Israel's gestation from simple family to a great nation of over two and a half million people. Now, next week, we're going to complete the study of the patriarchal age. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for thy grace and goodness for this time together. Thank you for this great um, um, this period which includes and embraces so many tremendous events. We sometimes wonder why did God spend 13 chapters on one man alone, Abraham. Why, that's more than half of any one of our Gospels about Jesus. Spend one man, Abraham. Yet when we recognize that this is the man whom thou didst choose, the father of the nation of Israel, with whom thou didst make thy great covenant. And in response, to that covenant, Jesus Christ will again come someday and establish his beneficent rule over this earth. Help us as we study together to get hold of these great truths. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.